0: IT businesses and Sacramento. from somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth this is the killing it podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things it
1: with your hosts Dave Sobel Ryan Morris and Carl Polichuk. welcome everybody to episode 154 of the killing it it' <laughs> podcast. Now, if that sounded a little bit different, it's because we have a special guest today, Suzanne Tedrick, who is the infrastructure specialist uh, for Azure, for sports, for Microsoft, that's a hell of a title, uh, is joining us today. And uh, she is the author of um, Women of Color in Tech, which is a spectacular book. And I'm going to put a link to an interview I did with Suzanne over on the SMB Community Podcast. But I promised her, we were not going to interview her about that today. We're just going to do the Killing It uh, podcast. Welcome, Susan.
2: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. It Thank you.
1: <laughs> so question of the day, how do you celebrate St. Patrick's Day?
0: So I will start here, and I will say if you if you could choose the ideal way you would get on an airplane, you would fly to Dublin, and you would have a regular <laughs> Thursday, right? Because that's just normal day over there every day. Uh, but if you if you can't do that one, um, I found going out to restaurants on St. Patrick's Day is worse than trying to get a reservation at a nice tablecloth restaurant on Valentine's Day. So my, my plan is I stay home and drink a lot of Guinness.
2: <laughs> that's, that's um, so I'm not going to lie. That's usually kind of what I do. Um, but yeah, I, I'm from New York and I live in New York now, but uh, I used to live in Chicago. Um, and it was awesome to kind of see the, the river being turned, you know, green and, you know, the parades right. and whatnot. Um, but it is definitely a uh, helter skelter. Um, in in Chicago during that time. I remember quite well that my husband and I, we actually did go out to an Irish restaurant um, that day, and we got got into a cab, and this incredibly drunk woman was trying to open our cab door, and her boyfriend had to, like, say, no, honey, like, this is not our cab. (laughs) You're not going with us.
1: So I have a different approach, which is Twenty minutes after Valentine's Day, they put out the decorations for St. Patrick's Day. So I go to Rite Aid and Walgreens and the, the, all the you know the drugstores, and I buy the St. Patrick's Day socks, and to be honest, boxers. There, there, there's always in in the holiday aisle. You can always find socks and boxers, and so I I buy those and make sure that I have you know appropriate things to wear for the the time before St. Patrick's Day. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's excellent. No, and, and that's the thing. Again,
1: uh, as, a, as a fan of
0: food from around the world, I will say, don't, don't wait for St. Patrick's Day to eat corned beef. It's excellent every day.
1: Oh, I was going to say, just don't eat it ever.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: a particular fan. Are you still relying on a frustrating patchwork of legacy solutions? Modernize your cybersecurity and data protection with Acronis CyberProtect Cloud. It's a single solution that combines backup, anti-malware, and endpoint protection management. As an MSP, you can easily improve client security posture, eliminate complexity, and generate more recurring revenue. Learn more about Acronis Cyber Protect Cloud at acronis.com.
0: All right. So for our first topic today, we're going to look at some unfortunate legal trouble for our friends over at Meta. Uh, We're going to link in the show notes to an article from uh, CNET where they're talking about a case that has been brought by the state of Texas to sue Meta over facial recognition. Now, a little bit of background here on this one before we jump in. Uh, Just recently, a couple of months ago, Facebook came out and said, you know, that facial recognition thing that we've been doing? um, We're sorry about that. We're going to stop it. Not only are we going to stop doing it, but we're going to delete the photos and the data of more than a billion records. Now, apparently, that was not enough for the folks in Texas. And they've come out to sue for, and if you read the text of the article, a civil penalty in the neighborhood of Hundreds of billions of dollars. Now, that's amazing. That, that, <laughs> that's big time. What do you guys think about a the suit and b the facial recognition?
1: Well, it is two different topics. We've we've covered many times. The facial recognition has all kinds of problems, uh, especially related to uh, law enforcement and you know the the uh, discrimination and so forth. This one is really about. I, I, I don't know that Facebook could have seen the law coming fast enough, and I'm not a fan of Facebook, but come on. It, 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 is it fair to say, look, we passed this law really quick and you can't do that, and the company didn't have enough time to remove it, their stuff?
2: I can, I can see that, Carl. I do think that it's, um, you know, there, there definitely wasn't enough time for them to kind of you know, make changes and reverse suit but i do think this is part of a larger pattern at meta and facebook of just you know monetizing on people's data people's you know likenesses and 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 i feel like this is part of a larger narrative of, of kind of curbing what they've already been doing and and reining that in because for a long time you know they've been doing this right. um and much to the detriment of, of of a lot of people and so i, I feel like this is kind of along the the day of reckoning that they that they've been getting for the last couple of, of months so I, I while I can empathize, I don't sympathize, right if that makes sense well <laughs> you can imagine
1: that there's some lawyer at Facebook that you know as they're yelling at them I've been telling you for ten years you have to knock this off <laughs> <laughs>
0: Exactly. You he's, know that he's now been
1: fired, by the way.
0: <laughs> exactly. We don't. We don't like naysayers here. Um, you, you know that philosophy of of the Zuckerbergs of move fast and break things. Um, they move fast, and then they broke things, and then not. And, and, and if this were, I don't know, the state of Maine or the state of Idaho, and they were having a, a dispute here, I think maybe Meta has more lawyers than they do, and they would be fine. This is Texas, and when Texas comes in like this, and Carl, you you spend a lot of time paying attention to the regulatory environment. This one seems, it, what, what I find fascinating about it is that for the prevailing conversation, what you and I have always had a problem with the facial recognition stuff on discrimination and law enforcement, whatever, those are exactly not the reasons why Texas has a problem with it. They're okay with that stuff. Like they are over here saying, individual property and image rights. And so I, I fear this one might be a little bit more difficult to defend.
1: Well you know, as a nerd, I have always been extraordinarily impressed with I upload, you know, whatever, 50 pictures to Facebook and it goes and it's got all the their names right on like whatever, 49 of the 50. That's really impressive technology. And they basically they didn't just like take it down, they destroyed it. And, you know, so I think they clearly recognize this is something where the technology has outpaced, I don't know, morality sense, a little bit of an oversight, but, you know, uh, it's outpaced society's ability to deal with the technology.
2: Well, yeah, and, and I think that's what happens with most technology. Like, we're all excited to get the latest and greatest innovation and in emerging technology that policy, governance, um, you know, people's rights, all of those things kind of come after the fact. And now you have to kind of put the genie back in the bottle if that makes sense. And and you know, right past certain things that probably shouldn't have existed to be to begin with.
0: And so, so for, one for of the, you, I'm sorry, Carl, one of the things you'll find interesting, right? As I was looking into this, the reason that that facial recognition was so dang accurate was that it was not machine learning driven right the education of the algorithm was not simply look at pictures and see what you can find and gradually over time you'll get smarter it was actually based on you and me and everybody else on Facebook going oh, I will totally tag my friends in that
1: photo exactly no yeah it started with it, it learning like okay that's Suzanne that's Ryan don't you know ding 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 that's my daughter that's my cousin you know <laughs> and, <yeah. laughs>
2: And you think nothing, you think nothing of it. Cause it's just like, I'm tagging my friends and, and I'm having a good time. You know, it's like, I want to be able to share these memories with people. But on the, you know, on the other hand, it's like, there's this almost kind of nefarious thing going on in the, in the background.
1: So, so is there a, a, going to be a balance someday where you say, okay, I will, in fact, consciously now I'm totally aware of this. There's all the lawsuits. I am consciously giving you access to my data, my friends, whatever, uh, And it's okay, you don't have to pay me for that because I like the experience I get, right? Can we actually ever get to that? Or is that no longer a possibility because of these privacy laws and so forth?
0: You know, I, I find that an interesting question. In theory, yes, anybody could come in and say, if I totally tell you exactly what I'm gonna do with your stuff, would you do it? Would you give it to me in return? Absolutely, fair bargain. Would I do that with the folks at Meta, given that they went so
1: long and didn't tell us what they were doing? Oh, hell
2: no. Yeah, <laughs> so you do I, it for
1: Apple, but not Meta. <laughs> yes.
2: Well, I, I don't I don't know. It's, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think for most people on the on the surface, the answer would be, well, you know, you're you're giving me this service and this experience, it's no big deal. But then when you think about, you know, the, the monstrous amount of money that Meta is, is making off of, of you. It's like maybe for some people that's a little harder to to swallow. Um, it's funny, during a, a course that I was taking on um, media privacy, One, I ran across this service that will actually pay you for your data. They were just like, you know, we will take all of your data and we will pay you, but we're only going to give you $10 <laughs> <laughs> every every three months. <laughs> that's and, interesting. And so- the company itself is making like, so
1: bazillion. Yeah. <laughs> actually, that's not a bad idea. Like sign here. Like you can never sue me. Right. Because I've paid you. I've actually, you know, and, and you know, it's, at some point for for things like maps and facial recognition, all this stuff to work, we do have to give up a little something. And then somebody else like, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I get my two pennies. i you know, I, I, I can't complain too much. So. Anyway, uh, this does remind me, though, that this collection of mass data is so powerful. We, we, we do want it. It does bring goodness to our life at some point. So we're still seeking the balance. Well, and that's the thing. It does, it does have value. They just deleted it all. So <laughs> you knew they thought something was yeah. coming down. That, that's exactly true. All right, sadly we're out of time for that. But topic number two, uh, we've talked about this many many times: the the debate of whether people will ever actually go back to their offices or not. Well, one indicator is: will there be an office to go back to? And you know, in the middle of the COVID, um, people sold their offices, sold their houses, moved to other states. Uh, not nobody on this show, but you know, theoretically, um, but. We're going to point to a report from the Harvard Business Review about firms uh, only reducing their office space by about 1%, which is almost shocking given how many stories there have been over the last two years. But it's quite telling that that there's going to be a different future. And even though you might not have office space for all of your employees because you don't expect them all to show up at the same time. The company still needs to have a place for at least some employees to show up some of the time. So the the fact that you need that real estate uh, is actually kind of an an interesting thing that I would have predicted. But most people were saying, no, 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 no. It's going to completely change the universe. Thoughts?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Carl. I, I mean, I think when you see in popular um, media, we talk a lot about hybrid work or remote work kind of taking over everything. Um, but I think the narrative that probably doesn't come up a lot is there are many people. For as many people that want to stay home and work and uh, realize efficiencies, there are people that miss, you know, the rhythm of being in the office, the rhythm of you know creating relationships in person versus um, video conferencing software. Um, I actually did read an interesting article in the New York Times that said that the other part of that is that offices basically reinforce hierarchy within the organization. So, you know, when you're in a a Zoom call or a team call, um, you know, there's no like, you know, boss and like everyone's on the same level. The bosses
1: don't get the top of the screen. Right. Like we're (laughs) all...
2: We're all technically equal, but when you know when, when you're in an office, it's very kind of clear where everybody fits. And I think the, the narrative that was coming out of that particular story is that they want to kind of a reinforce hierarchy, um, but b also ensure that you know we're still realizing uh, efficiencies and innovation, like that we're still operating as close to to normal. So I think it's a it's a tricky balancing act. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the trick is always going to be to balance the interest of the organization with the interest of the individual. And can you come to a place where those things are compatible, right? Historically, the answer was no. The boss said, come to the office Monday through Friday, eight till five. And whether you wanted to or not, whether that was convenient, affordable, anything, you knew that was the bargain and you just came in and did this. Now, the the one thing we know for sure is that all or nothing stories are never accurate. Uh, We were never going to be all at home forever. And we were also never going to come back all 100% into the office. There was going to be a mix of hybrid. My answer here is consider the source. Many managers have had a difficult time in the last couple of years controlling and enforcing hierarchy over their organizations. And The difficulty means I don't like it. And therefore, I want to drag people back into the office, whether or not they are okay with that. I find this to be, I'll bet you if you got behind the data point that we're highlighting here in this article, it was probably from a study that was funded by the guys who sell and lease commercial offices (laughs) because they're like, they they got a vested interest. They don't want to see people stay home. (laughs) I don't think that one and a half percent is accurate, but I also don't think 99 percent is accurate.
1: So, uh, just so you know, the source is the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. Uh, but, you know, I mean, they're seeing that people are not giving up their real estate, right? So, in terms of like that's the reality of it, I will say there's so many variables to this because with the office, you get culture, you get a social life for, for you know, younger employees. It's easier to advance your career if you're actually in the office. We've seen all these news stories about this. I think the really good thing about it is, we've done a lot of research. Microsoft has done a lot of research about uh, creativity is down, uh, but productivity it was up and then it went down. And right? It'll be interesting to see when this is all done. How much do you have to be in the office? To keep on the right path with regard to your career, your culture, you know, all those kinds of things, and I, I think that this really will be pretty much every uh, uh, social uh, PhD for the next twenty years will be on this topic.
2: <laughs> I I completely agree. I I feel like we I think from a technical level we've proven yes this, we can do this work remotely. We can find a lot of workarounds and everything else, but. At what cost, you know, in terms of as you were talking about, Carl, the, the culture and, and 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 meeting people and everything else. Like I so I started um, my job at Microsoft during the pandemic. And it, I, I cost I, I said to a, a number of folks that like I when I remember first going into an office, you know, you go in, you take the tour and everything else, and it's great. And I remember that in my time starting at Microsoft, it was literally me kicking my husband out of the bedroom so that my boss didn't see him on, on teams, you know, (laughs) and it's a very, it's like, and, and don't get me wrong. I think my, my colleagues have done a really great job of making me feel welcome and included. Um, but there is definitely a different dynamic when most of my interactions are, are through, you know, video conferencing and in my bedroom.
1: Well, and so my daughter also took a new job during the pandemic and she's never actually met anybody she's she's now been there a year she's never met anybody she works for or with except on you know online um and so it is really interesting it's, if you think about like out of whatever let's just say five days a week in the office how many of how many days do you have to be in the office to keep the culture going how many days do you have to be in the office to keep the hierarchy in place uh, to keep the productivity in place right each of those variables um and you know i think that we are we're finding that it's smaller than we originally thought it was but it's not zero right C- culture will disappear if you never actually interact with people in the real world um, so I, I at least that's what i think you know and i've got i i now have Remote employees, when this all started, they used to sit in the same office with me, and now they don't. See, and, and that's, where, that's where I go,
0: right? It's a question of if going to the office makes people better at their jobs, or if you are creating more connection to culture, go to the office. If it's just for the sake of hovering over somebody's shoulders and micromanaging their task productivity, uh, they don't like it. You don't like it. It's not actually going to improve anything, so don't do that. And and you know if you go through this article that we've linked to from uh, from the Harvard Business Review, you know one of the things they point out is it's that for all the folks that are working from home, how do you how do you take forty percent of white collar workers working from home? but only 1% reduction, they said, well, it's a reduction of density, not of, uh, of space. In other words, I kept the footprint. I just have half as many people there. Hallelujah. Man, I think that's a fantastic idea. If you're gonna keep it and you can afford it, if you can cost justify that thing, congratulations. And don't bunk desk people and don't like cram them into little cubbies and make them like feel like drones or whatever. Like that might actually be a good reason to go back to the office a few days a week.
1: Well, you know, it's funny, so uh, I worked at HP for a while and they had this big, you know, these offices that are like warehouses, right? With cubicles and and so they always have extra space and the extra, extra space would always get used for things like indoor soccer and, you know, uh, ping pong tables and all that kind of stuff. So maybe maybe you'll see that in New York. You'll see that at that Times Square office for Microsoft. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you yeah, yeah, a very
1: expensive indoor soccer game.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about a, a topic that is near and dear to my heart, because I, I talk about it a lot, <laughs> both in and out of work, um, and that is NFTs, or as they're called, uh, non-fungible tokens. Uh, and so I'm sure that, you know, Carl, Ryan, you, you've talked about this at length and different At tokens. length, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And so um, if you're familiar with the Gartner hype cycle, it basically talks about the different parts of the technology life cycle for emerging technologies. And so for now, NFTs are classified in what they call the peak of inflated expectations. So there's massive attention, massive hype. Everyone wants to be in on this, it's great. Um, But if you're familiar with the hype cycle, there is uh, three other cycles that, you know, with with the immediate one, the the trough of disillusionment, where the expectations of NFTs and the reality of NFTs are just so diametrically opposed that people are just like, it's not worth making the investment. And to some extent, I, you know, I can kind of understand where that's going. But I wanted to, to talk to you guys to kind of figure out, like, What's your take on NFTs? Like, where do, where do you think that NFTs are going? Um, are we going to be approaching the trap of disillusionment pretty quickly, or are, are we kind of ringing the death knell a little bit too soon?
1: <laughs> well, I think we are. I think that you know, what's funny is this this isn't the same as the uh, GameStop and the the Reddit, you know, um, uh, Wall Street thing, but they're really well related. I think it's the same players. That are pushing this, uh, the publicity on both of these. And so I think they're both peaking at this point, but the, the Wall Street Reddit types are one inch ahead on heading towards disillusionment. And I think NFTs are next. The people who are investing in NFTs instead of paying their rent are going to be very, very disillusioned. <laughs> <laughs> and as, as,
0: Folks who have been through the hype cycle a few times with a few emerging technologies, I always have to remind myself that as silly as I think it might be right now, in every emerging technology, in the midst of all that noise and all that hype, there's one or two use cases that a couple of years later you look back and go, oh, if only we had seen that coming. Right. No, you did. It was out there, right? It was like there were 100 use cases, 98 of which were silly, and two of which turned into multi-billion dollar industry platforms. I don't know which ones those are <laughs> right now because I'm still very distracted by how many of them are silly, but I have to believe that the slope of enlightenment when we start coming back out of the dark and we realize, oh, you know, Having a having a digital record that can directly associate purchase and ownership and the chain of custody and everything, there are probably places, especially in industrial applications, where that's awesome. Uh, we just we just have to get through some of the the silly season first.
2: I agree. I agree. It's funny. My um, to your point, Carl, paying you know buying an appease with your rent money. My my husband and I were having this conversation because for him and many other people just kind of dismiss NFTs out of hand, you know, because there's, there's silly NFTs that make absolutely no sense. And, you know, people are investing so much money without understanding what an NFT is and whether or not something will appreciate in value. And my attitude has always been, if it means something to you, you know, I'm not going to, as long as your, you know, basics are paid for, like you, you know, got your rent paid, your utilities are paid. I, I have no, no problem with it. It's if you come at it from a standpoint that buying by buying an NFT, you're going to get rich overnight, kind of the same way that people thought about, like, if I mine Bitcoin, I'm going to get right. rich overnight. <laughs> and it's like, you have to set very realistic expectations when it, when it comes to emerging technologies. Like, it's speculative right now. It's not, you know, a, it's not like buying a, a mutual fund or bond. It's. It's a completely different type of investment, and you shouldn't use it for the basics. Right. right.
1: Well, and you know, the next, excuse me, the next step that's going to happen is, you know, not just stealing. You know, you've seen people stealing Bitcoin. People will steal NFT artwork, and 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 then it becomes so much like real artwork. Like you really can steal the original Campbell soup can, right? <laughs> um, but but ultimately. I think what, what NFTs will settle down to five years from now, 10 years from now, is this will be the ultimate provenance that you actually own this thing, right? That you can track your ownership of something. And it may not be digital artwork inside of a game. It might be. But for the rest of the world who you know are not gamers, uh, it might just be that this is the ultimate thing that says, look, we can stop buying uh uh, proof of of ownership for houses when we buy them because it's just in the blockchain, right? And so, once you have it there and it's set, then you know you, you just have to make sure nobody steals it.
0: See, and Carl, maybe maybe I think you might be onto something right there. If if an NFT becomes just ultimately the certificate of ownership of a digital twin environment that represents the physical environment. Well, that seems very, very functional. It doesn't seem like an investment vehicle. It doesn't seem like a speculation type right. of, of an asset where you're gonna get rich on these things, but will they serve a vital purpose? I can totally see that, but I don't, I don't know that I'd pay you extra for your house just to also get the digital certificate.
1: Well, no, but you also wouldn't open a business doing title insurance.
2: exactly (laughs) exactly exactly. and and to your point it's that it's it's digital it's not physical and and just thinking about a lot of the work that i do with with sports um i know that a lot of use cases about nfts are, are around collectibles um and there's something to be said for that but there's also something to be said for people that still want that physical i own it i can feel it i can touch it it's in my house and it's hanging up on a wall um, right. There's something to be said for for that as well, and you don't really get that experience with a with an NFT. So I I, I I'm not dismissing it out of hand, but I, I do feel like to your point, it's going to take quite some time.
1: <laughs> so so what would what would the mainstream use case be? Would it be simply title insurance and provenance, or is is there something else? When when you think about you know your your grandmother. <laughs> What, what's she going to use an NFT for? A, a coaster for the, t- <laughs> and the... An electronic coaster. <laughs>
0: exactly, right? When, when she's in her new metaverse w- reality. Um, that I, I will tell you, I think that there is... As a rational person, I will always acknowledge that there is a collectibles industry that makes zero sense and generates tremendous wealth, right? Uh, I had a good friend when I was growing up who collected baseballs with signatures, right? I would go to spring training down in Arizona, uh, chase around as a little kid and get signatures on there. Now, as a 15-year-old, I looked at those things and I was like, you actually met that human? Holy cow, that's impressive, right? As a 19-year-old, I looked at that and was like, you can't ever take them out and actually throw them. (laughs) As a 50-year-old, now I'm looking back on it and going, okay, you tangibilized your nostalgia. That's cool. I think there must be some digital artwork application for collectibles that NFTs can serve. But as a
1: representation of a physical thing,
2: I'd rather have the physical thing. Well, I still buy
1: the physical thing. Yeah, totally. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, this this sort of like collecting those things is like you can make a wild speculation from five years from now and you make enough of those wild speculations. One will come true. And that's the only one you have to remind people about what a genius you were. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. i was the one who bet my rent money
0: on an <laughs> nft of something that also existed in the real world and now i'm a billionaire
1: <laughs> so we should we should sell an nft of the recording the original recording of this show exactly suzanne's first appearance on the killing it podcast and uh, I, I i mean that's collectible exactly. <laughs> it will this will be the ultimate collectible so
2: i like your thinking carl <laughs> I like that.
0: <laughs> Again, we often have to say this during the recording, trademark, Carl Polichuk.
1: and there, there you go.
0: Anybody <laughs> that actually monetizes that thing, please buy this. T- so
1: start, start setting aside your rent money, but that will unfortunately do it for episode 154 of the Killing It,
2: Killin it.
1: podcast. Thanks
0: for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.